0: Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media, to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. It is good to be with you guys this evening. So, I am kind of like, how do I say this? I'm kind of nervous about this topic, but at the same time, I feel like it's something that I need to sort of speak about personally. Like, you know, every time I speak, it's really uh, challenging for me, and I know that the Lord wants to work on the things in my own life that are off. Um, so I pray that the Lord would use this as an opportunity for all of us to kind of really look in the mirror and ask ourselves kind of who we are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, one of the things that I think many of us struggle with is we're sort of looking for a standard. And really, if the standard is other people around us, then that standard sometimes is like, the bar is set pretty low. Really dependent on what your community is like and the people that you surround yourself with. If you're surrounded by saints, really the standard becomes high. But if you're surrounding yourself with people that oftentimes, and every single one of us have surrounded ourselves with folks that sometimes aren't the best of the best for us, the reality is, as I start to make that the standard. And even amongst the most saintly people, there's still brokenness. Like even if you were to come face-to-face with somebody who is really an incredible icon of Christ, if that person becomes that standard, what happens if that person falls? What happens if we elevate certain people to a certain place and then that person falls from grace, right? That person falls below the standard that God has. And I think there's a really important thing that we, every single one of us, really take a step back and we ask ourselves, who is the person in the mirror? And who is the person that I long to reflect? Because I think that's a really important question that we all need to ask ourselves. Because I think sometimes in the Christian journey, for many of us, the standard becomes, I just want to be a better person. And to be honest with you, if the standard is, I just want to be a better person, that's okay. But is that the goal? Right? Like, if the goal is, I just want to be a a better person, then when I look around me, or even when I compare people in the church to people outside that oftentimes are better people, then why be in the church if there are better people outside? Why be in the church if there are like more moral, more righteous people on the outside? I'm not saying that's the case. But I'm saying sometimes that happens where we're like, well, what makes Christianity really something to belong to or something to follow if the people, like the old the old quote from Gandhi, Y'all know that quote where he says, I love Christ, but I hate Christians, because you Christians aren't like your Christ. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, what is the standard? Who is the person that I'm trying to reflect? What is the goal of the Christian life? Is it to become more moral? Is it to become a, a more uh, altruistic, a more philanthropic person, bigger words, you know? like is, Like, fill in the adjective. Is that the goal and I think sometimes whether we are conscious of it or not whether we like it or not the reality is that oftentimes that's what we think Christianity is is a set of rules to follow a set of moral standards to sort of live up to and the byproduct often is that we miss the whole purpose So I think in order for us to really kind of zoom out, we have to ask ourselves the question of who am I? Who am I? And what am I supposed to do? And what does this Genesis chapter 126 verse that is very famous, it's like the verse that we always like to use to defend the Holy Trinity, where it says, let us, like plurality of God, like let us, like the three in one, one in three, but we never really look at the second part of it. Like... Make man in our image and likeness. Like, this is the first words that God says about man. Let me make man in my image or our image and our likeness. So, is that the standard? Is the standard God, His image, His likeness? Or is the standard everybody around me? Is the bar him or is the bar to just be a little bit better? Is the bar holiness or is the bar to just be better than the person right next to me? And I think that's where I think we often get caught up because we don't really have a direction, right? You know, if you, uh, if you have ever read, you know, I like to read all different types of books. There's a great book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And one of the the things that he says is start with the end in mind. Like, start with the goal. And if you don't know the goal, then you're kind of going aimless, kind of walking with no direction. And I think for many years in my life personally, public confession, like, I thought the goal of the Christian life was just to be a little bit more moral, just to be a better rule follower, just to be a person who, you know, does these certain activities or spiritual sort of things, but God really isn't part of the narrative. Because there are many people that come to church every single Sunday, and the moment they walk out of church, there's really no difference. There's really, like, church is not a magical place unless you make it magical. Like, the church isn't a place in which you encounter God unless you encounter God. It's not the place, it's the person that you connect to in the place that transforms us and moves us. But it really is dependent on what I want to take away. So, is the standard image and likeness? And I will say that the whole goal of the Christian journey is this idea of image and likeness. Image and likeness of God is what it actually means to be Christian. And what I mean by that is, that was what we were created to be. Like, that is the actual goal. The goal is to be like God. The goal is to be Him to every single person you encounter. The goal is that I'm united with Him in order to go out and love my neighbors wholeheartedly, right? Like the golden rule, Jesus consolidated 614 Jewish laws into one golden rule, right? Like 614 laws consolidated into one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what happened here? Like how did the standard go from God to other people and then me? I'm my own standard. I create my own sort of self determining understanding of who I ought to be. Like, how did it go from God to others and then get reduced even to whatever serves me? Y'all know that expression, right? Do what serves you. Do you? Like, how did that become the standard? And I think that it started with, you have to always rewind. Like, always in the Christian narrative, you have to go to the Genesis 3 narrative. You have to go backwards. And I think it starts with the blame game. Right? Like, let me give you an example. Many people will come and confess to me, and they'll say, Abuna, the problem is other people. Like, this person drove me crazy, and that's why I'm so angry. This person did this to me, and that's why I'm so-and-so-and-so. There is this natural inclination that all of us have to point the finger elsewhere, right? Like, even when you talk to a little kid, like you grab my my kids, and you say, why did you do that? Cece did it. or Micah did it. Like, there's a natural byproduct that they want to point the finger. It's like almost this, like... We never want to take a responsibility and we never want to take accountability for why we are the way we are because it's really hard to come face-to-face with yourself. Like, let's be real. Like, if somebody comes up to you and says to you, dude, you're really arrogant. Well, you're just a hater. <laughs> like, haters hate us because they ain't us, right? Like, that's that's what we say, right? Like, you, you just, you want to immediately point the finger elsewhere because there is no possibility that there is something that is off with me. And there's a difference between being self-deprecating and beating yourself up. There's a difference between having self-esteem and there's a difference between being an arrogant jerk. Let me nuance that. Self-deprecation is I beat myself up without the hope that God can make me better and heal me. Like, so my arrogance lets me believe that I am not redeemable. Let Let me nuance that for a second. My arrogance makes me believe that I'm not redeemable. Because i think how could i have done this how could somebody like me fall to this low low how is that possible of course i am not redeemable at this point i wouldn't forgive me i wouldn't do that like i wouldn't accept me so we make the standard me and not god did i lose you guys you're following me so self-deprecation self-esteem is knowing my value, my intrinsic value in the eyes of God. Self-esteem is knowing my intrinsic value in the eyes of God. I am esteemed by God because he created me in his image and likeness. Did I lose anyone? So I have value, my intrinsic value is because I'm created in image and likeness of God. And that's why I can esteem others. That's why I can see dignity in others. Because I see, irrespective of how far they've fallen, irrespective of what messy situation they're in, irrespective of how messed up things are for them, image and likeness of God is still there. That's why we think, and that's why we know as Christians, that there isn't a caste system. There isn't like, oh, if you're rich, you're to be more dignified. That's what the world teaches. Like, if you're rich, you're to be dignified, you're to be elevated more. You're to be respected and honored. And if you're poor, you're like a chump. But in Christianity, we remove all of that because everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. So I see you and I see God in you. So my self-esteem comes from the intrinsic value that God has put upon me. So, self deprecation is what? What's self deprecation? I'm, I'm seeing if you guys are awake. Self deprecation is what? Is me being unredeemable. I think that I'm unredeemable. Self esteem is I know my intrinsic value before God. Now, what is arrogance? What is pride? Pride is I take the value that God has given me and the gifts that God has given me, and I attribute them to myself. So God is removed from the narrative. So I'm a good speaker, hypothetically. It's my gift. I'm the one that works hard at it. I'm the one... People should respect me and honor me because I am an Abuna now. You dummy. This is not your priesthood. These are not your gifts. God has given them to you. And because he's wanting to use you and he wants to save you through these gifts. So self-esteem is my intrinsic value. Self-deprecation is I believe that I'm unredeemable. Pride is I attribute my own gifts to myself and humility, follow me, is knowing my value. And knowing how much God has given me, but seeing my smallness in the great magnitude of God. Like when I look and when I stand before a mountain and I see the glory of this mountain, I realize my smallness. And that smallness makes me flabbergasted by the fact that God has given me this much intrinsic value. Did I lose everybody? You sure I didn't lose you guys? You with me so the natural thing is is that oftentimes we do this like the reason why I am the way I am is because other people because of my experiences because of my past and it's really easy to shift the blame it's really easy when something happens to just go like well Mark you did it to me you're the cause buddy and that's what Adam and Eve did when you go back to the Genesis 3 narrative They're naked and ashamed, and they cover themselves behind fig leaves. And they're kind of like thinking, like, come on, this is like actually a funny thing. When you look at this narrative, it's hilarious. Like, do you really think you can hide from God? Like, you just walked with him. You know him. He just created you. He just breathed life and created mountains and trees and all these different things and sun and moon. You think you can hide from him? So they go and they try to hide. And God asks them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree commanded you not to eat from? And what does the man say? Weak men. What say the man say? The woman you gave me. He doesn't say, like, initially when he says, when he sees her, he's like, ah, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. He's so enthusiastic when he sees her. The moment the shortcoming happens, what does he do? The woman you gave me. He's pointing the blame at the woman and him. Not taking accountability for himself. And then what does the woman say? She points to the serpent and she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There's this natural inclination that all of us have to want to do this. We don't want to look within. We don't want to take accountability. We don't want the standard to be God. We want the standard to be other people and to be me. And i think modern culture often will almost feed that modern culture will tell you again do you prioritize yourself your pleasure is what's priority so if you want to use and abuse and do what you want as long as it serves you it's all good and why do you think I'm just gonna use a very simple thing. Why do you think one of the largest industries in the United States and all over the world is pornography? It is literally the quintessential objectification of human beings. Literally the quintessential objectification and society justifies it and says, well, what's the big deal? Like, embrace sexuality. Embrace this like cr- art- artwork. And people are like, you know, we got needs. What's the big deal? Well, think about that for a second. Let's break down why that's actually a messy thought process. So the root of that is lust. And what is lust by nature? Lust is selfish. Lust is selfish. Lust is all about satisfying my needs and not caring about who it hurts in the process. So for example, this woman that's in this image is somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody's mother maybe. And I don't really care, I'm not thinking about that, because it's for my pleasure. So the standard is, well if everybody's doing it and nobody really cares and it's not hurting anyone and nobody even really knows I'm doing it behind closed doors, what's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. And we could take that as like a basic example. But we could take many other examples of how the standard is not God. The standard is not image and likeness. The standard is what fits me, what satisfies me. Do you, bro. And if you do you, you're good. If it doesn't hurt nobody in the process, it's all good. And I think the primary problem is in our society is that our need to use and consume and abuse and dominate and do everything that feeds me makes it as though I'm the God of my own universe. Like I am the Lord. We never will say that. God forbid, Bismillah Salib. Like we'll never say that. Like we won't openly say that. But the reality of how I live is I'm my own Lord. I will do. What I want, as long as I think it's not hurting anyone in the process. And even if it does hurt, well, what's the big deal? And I think the root of it is I don't think God is really needed. Like, like let's just be very frank. Like, I'm, I'm a, I call a spade a spade. Like, if I really felt this inner need for God, if I really had this desperation within me, then I would make it a priority, right? Like if somebody's sick, take my health care analogies, right? Because I like healthcare. care. Somebody's sick and they're like really, really sick. What do they do? They will go to the wee ends of the earth to try to find help. They will travel places, they'll seek out specialists, they will do everything in their power to try to be healthy. Why? It's a matter of life and death. It's like a matter of urgency for them. Like my health is of utmost priority priority to me. So if I wanna stay alive, I will do everything in my power to travel to all the wee ends of the earth in order to get healthy. But why is it that we don't feel that same sense of urgency? Because I think we think, we think we're healthy. So really the spiritual problem, and in a second I'll kind of go through this, spiritual problem is a health problem. Like it's very correlated to healthiness. Like if we say spirituality, like if we say sin is like a disease, right? We don't really see it as that because we are like whatever about it. And I think the second problem is I think I could do it on my own. And that's why when the purpose isn't clear, their direction is me and not God. The focus is myself and my ego and not being like him. And let me give you some basic examples of modern day practices. Minimalism. Like let's just take this basic thing. Let's just take societies like sort of things. Why does it matter? If you have a lot of stuff, if God isn't like the thing, why do you care about the environment if God isn't part of the narrative? Because it feels ethical. Like m- the, the moral standard is minimalism by nature is it's all about owning only what adds value and meaning to your life. So, like, you know, the Marie Kondo thing, like, you go and if it gives you joy, you keep it if not you throw it away. I loved Marie Kondo. Like I watched that show when she first came out. I was like, this is a really great way to do it. But what's the end goal? Why am I throwing away my clothing? <laughs> like is it just because it sparks joy in me or not? Or is it because like I realize genuinely that I'm too attached to material things and I get my identity and my purpose from these things. So I need to let go of these things because they're hindering me from image and likeness. Meaning when the direction isn't clear, I'm just grasping for different things. I am a vegan. I am a minimalist. I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am, I am, I am. I'm trying to label myself as something because that is what is going to give me my identity. Because identity isn't image and likeness. Identity isn't intrinsic value from God. Identity isn't beloved. You with me? So you have minimalist you have intermittent fasting oh I'm, I'm keto bro i'm keto i'm intermittent fasting sorry man i can't drink and eat right now because i'm intermittent fasting like we fast because we want to discipline the body in order to bring it to subjection because if you could say no to a cheeseburger you could say no to a lot of other things but like okay why intermittent fast i want to be healthy okay but why self-discipline mindfulness big in the psychology world right A type of meditation in which you focus on being intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without interpretation or judgment. Like you acknowledge it and you put it aside, which by practice, like it's not a bad thing, right? Like none of these things in themselves are bad things. They're great things actually. Like if I'm a minimalist, I'm not like destroying the environment as much. Like I'm not buying too many things that I don't really need. If I'm intermittent fasting, I'm taking care of this temple. Right? If I am mindful, I'm aware of my thoughts and bringing them into subjection. I'm kind of like aware of myself. Independently of these things, all these things are good things. But why? Like, you see, if you don't know the why of what you're doing, there really is no benefit to what you're doing except you. Like, it's about me in the end. Are you following me? Or am I too philosophical today? You sure I'm not too philosophical? Sometimes I get in these. You with me? So the primary problem is health. It's a lack of desire for my actual true well-being. It's an actual lack of desire, and I don't really understand health, and there's not really such thing as, like, nutritious eating, right? There's, like, not, like, take, this, take the analogy, right? What is health? And if I don't know that there is such thing as health, in like the spiritual sense then the standard is not being healthy the standard is whatever like you take the c.s lewis analogy where he says you only know a line is crooked unless you have a straight line to compare it to you only know that 100 is a good grade on examination because that's the standard that's set so what is the standard of healthiness in the spiritual life like what is health And what do I need to do in order to get healthy? And what's my role in being healthy? How much is on me and how much is on God? You with me? Mark, did I confuse you? Sure, good, okay. So the primary problem is health. But what's my problem? Just like anyone who knows me, I historically was a very healthy person, pre-priesthood. What's my primary problem now? My primary problem is I lack discipline. That's my primary problem. I resist the discipline required for health. I resist it. Like, I'm eating healthier now. Okay, I've dropped 10 pounds. Give me, you know, give me some. But, but the, the, I resist the discipline required to be healthy. I desire benefits without the ne- this necessary effort that I need to put in. So like I want to be spiritual, but I want it to magically happen. I want to be like, okay, I want God, image, and likeness to be the standard, but I don't really want to do anything about it. I just want to come to Bible studies and listen to Bible studies, but I don't really want to apply it. I just want to go take communion, and I want it magically to change me. I want to go sit with a Buna and I want to confess my sins every three days because I think that that's like what's actually going to make me healthy. But I don't want to actually put the effort in To be healthy with me so what is my need i'm going to say a word that you guys maybe won't like or you'll think it's attributed to monks my need is asceticism asceticism is like the the workout regimen for spirituality now you say to yourself what the heck is asceticism what is asceticism it, asceticism is a complex term that has a lot of things that we sort of attribute it to it's not just for monastics it involves the work of bringing my body and my spirit into a state of what health it's me bringing my body and my spirit into a state of health so what is asceticism for each person it's contextualized like just like a patient comes to a doctor some people have certain symptoms you need to contextualize the care for that patient in order for that patient to be well And the same with each person each of us need to understand where our if god is my mirror where am i far off from that mirror if if standard is image and likeness How am I not in image and likeness? And what is hindering me from being in image image and likeness? What's off? So maybe my issue is I gossip a whole lot. I love to be the town busybody telling everybody about everybody else's stuff. Maybe my responsibility is, my asceticism, my discipline, is that I learn to shut my mouth. Like I literally, any time... I even remotely start to talk about somebody else, I quickly have to do something to sort of change the direction of what I'm doing. Maybe my spiritual father will tell me, you know what, you gossip a little bit too much, so I'm going to encourage you actually to take a little bit of break from certain friendships that encourage you to gossip. Maybe that's that's what you need. Like the smoker, you're going to tell the person, like, listen, it's probably not a good idea for you to go hang out with people that smoke a whole ton if you're trying to quit. It's probably a better idea for you to keep a little bit of space, (coughs) excuse me, get healthy, and then maybe you can encourage those friends to get healthy as well. Maybe my, my, my asceticism is, I just personally love to make my opinion known to everyone. In a conversation, I want everybody to know how I feel about things, right? I always need my voice to be heard. I always need to give my two cents about a situation. I always need someone to know that I'm the smartest person in the room. So maybe my asceticism is I actually learn again to not give my opinion. I actually like and I'm sitting in a meeting and I have to just suck it up and not give my opinion, my opinion. Now, I'm not saying don't give your opinion when it's asked in a work context and get fired. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Y'all know the context in which you always just want to give your opinion and nobody really asked. Maybe your asceticism is you really struggle with overeating. So your spiritual father says to you, you never should eat till you're full. You should always eat till just when you're satisfied and never get to a state where you're full. Why? Because your issue is Overeating makes you a glutton. Overeating makes you lazy. Overeating makes you incapable of praying. Overeating makes you feel like y'all all ever been to an open buffet and after you feel like garbage, like you just want to go home and take a nap, guilty as charged. Like I'm not saying, you know. But asceticism is I need to figure out bringing where my body and my spirit into a state of health through self-discipline, and that's why. Asceticism isn't a monastic practice. Asceticism is a Christian practice. It's like what we need to do, and the basic thing that the church tells us to do is to fast. And the thing that people least like to do is fast. Why? Because we love cheeseburgers, and we love McDonald's chicken nuggets, and we love Chick-fil-A, and we love all the things that, you know, we love a steak. And the church just says, hey, can you learn the self-discipline to give up those things for a season so they can learn to say no to other things that are hindering you from image and likeness from real health but again what do people come to me with abuna give me a hill give me like a like a pass abuna like i'm traveling to philly in the middle of great lent can you let me get a cheesesteak abuna what's the big deal come on why do you need to eat a philly cheesesteak in the middle of lent why are you going to philly in the middle of lent like what's what's the need here Abuna, what's the big deal? It's just a cheesesteak. It's not about the food. Believe me, it's not about the food. But for you, it is about the food. Like for you, you really need to to learn the discipline of not just doing what you want when you want it. Because if you learn the discipline of not doing what you want when you want it, it actually will teach you when you come face-to-face with temptation how to say, nope, I'm not that into this. I don't want to do this. So I want you guys, I want to ask you guys a question what is asceticism in your own context you don't have to answer right now but what is like the thing the vice that you have the struggle like maybe you judge too quickly so every time you start judging you stop yourself and you judge yourself you say well I see this person doing this thing that's a little bit off how many times have I done that how many times do like instead of pointing the finger at the other person bring it back to yourself maybe the issue is I am a little bit arrogant, and I sometimes am puffed up. Maybe in those moments I need to remind myself of my own sin and my own brokenness. And I come face to face, like King David will say, my sin is at all times before me. And again, my sin is at all times before me not to be self-deprecating and believe that I have no hope and there's no redemption available for me, but I'm aware of myself to know that let him who thinks he stand tall take heed lest he fall. That's my motto. Anyone who sat with me before knows that 1 Corinthians 10-12 is the motto I live life by. I never look like I could fall to anything at any moment at any time. And I keep my head down, and I thank God for the grace that he gives. So what's my need? My need is asceticism. Like if I, want, if I want health, I need to figure out what's not making me healthy. And I need to bring those things that are not healthy to a place where they can be healthy. Now asceticism, again, what's the purpose of asceticism? Image and likeness. God. God is the end result. Like, beautiful, loving union with him. I'm almost done. I promise. Question. Go ahead. Um, wait, can you Imagine yes, King, uh, King David, like, said my sins at all times before me. But he also needed someone to tell him, like, you are that man. Like, so where does, like... Where's our Nathan? Like, where does our friendship come into play with all this, like, accountability? I'm going to tell you in a second. We'll get there. Keep that in mind. If I don't answer it, bring it back. So, asceticism is not merely a set of righteous practices, it's a path to spiritual health. It's like a practice that brings me to the place of healthiness. So, again, put that in mind. But I need to also recognize that my community plays a big role in my health. So, it's important to recognize that the cause of my health issues isn't solely my own actions. My community and my environment also plays a significant role. So if I'm hanging out with people that are fill in the blank, misery loves company. right? Like it's just the reality. Like if I'm smoking pot, I want somebody to smoke pot with me. If I'm drinking and getting drunk, I want somebody to get drunk with me. If I am doing etc, fill in the blank, I want somebody to do it with me. Bad company corrupts good habits. That's Bible, that's not like something we made up. Bad company corrupts good habits. So you wanna be on the place of health? You wanna be on the path of righteousness? You wanna be on the path to image and likeness? I gotta surround myself with people that are pointing me to that direction. Like if I go talk to somebody about someone I'm gossiping, my role is not to add fuel to the fire. It's not like, yo, I can't believe that she did that. Yeah, you have every right to be angry with that person. Yeah, she's the worst or he's the worst. Your role is to be like, you know, why don't we why don't we pray about this and why don't you go talk to her? Why don't you bring up this issue? Why don't you try to reconcile? Why don't you tell her how you feel? Like if your friendships are adding fuel to your brokenness, be careful who you surround yourself with. Because again, my comp- my my community makes a big difference on my overall health. But also everybody needs a coach right like everybody needs a coach everybody needs someone to sort of encourage them and push them along the way like everybody knows that my children of confession first wednesday of every month at 3 p.m i call my spiritual father and i confess it is what i need for my spiritual life in this moment of my life i desperately need somebody to coach me through the process primarily because I know my own weakness. I know my own shortcomings. I know the areas of my life that are really off. And my coach, my spiritual father, is there to push me and to tell me, hey, i Elijah, like, I think you'd be better with this. I think actually this is your issue. I think actually, etc. fill in the blank. There's lots of stuff he tells me because I'm, I'm a messy human. But everybody needs a coach. And I think many times we're reluctant to get a coach because I have a friend. I can like talk to her and she can tell me. But again, ask yourself the community and the people that you surround yourself are they pointing you to Christ? And if they are, great, but you still need a coach. You still need a coach. Now, believe me, I'm not saying this because I want more customers. Like, believe me, like, I I love everyone and I would love to sit with every single person. And I do want to sit with every single person, but I'm not saying this because, like, again, I get like extra paychecks if I take more confessions. Like, it's not like that. I'm saying I need a coach. And we all need a coach. All of us need somebody to push us in the direction of health. Just like I need a doctor, I need a spiritual doctor. The second thing is everybody needs a regimen. Like Everybody needs a regimen. Everybody needs things that will point them onto the direction of holiness. And Failing to plan is planning to fail. If you don't have a goal or direction, image and likeness isn't the goal, isn't the purpose, and I don't do anything to be in image and likeness besides things with other people. There's nothing personal. There's no personal work that I do. Good luck. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that all the things that we do that make us healthy, like the minimalism, the veganism, the intermittent fasting, the etc. I'm not saying those, again, those things are bad things, but again, it's the direction because there's a spiritual ailment in me that needs to be healed that brings me to the path of health. So, do you have a plan for prayer? Do you have a plan for Bible reading? Do you have a plan for ascetic practices, spiritual disciplines that you need to acquire? Do you have a plan for how many liturgies you should attend? Do you have a plan for how frequently You should sit with your spiritual father. Do you have a plan for, you know, certain situations and how you navigate them? Only you can answer that. But I think the beautiful thing is, is that in the goal of image and likeness, we're not alone in this process. So yes, we have the church. Yes, we have the disciplines. Yes, we have the things. But this is the most important part of it all. St. Paul says, what I will to do, I find myself not doing. And what I don't will to do, I find myself doing. There's this tug-of-war match that is happening. So who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, who is going to get me out of this mess that I'm in? Every time I try to do something, I find myself doing the exact opposite. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? When we look to the story of Adam and Eve... We see the story of the struggle to obtain goodness, sometimes finding it and sometimes not. The entire biblical story shows God calling us, God redeeming us, and sometimes we act on that redemption, and more often we do not. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul says, I thank God for my Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one who delivers me from it. So there's an invitation to health for all of us. There's an invitation to like, I can heal your brokenness. I can put you on the path that's straight. I can surround you with a coach. I can do all these different things if you allow me to. it has got to be a little bit of humility, though. it has got to be a recognition that I have a need. And I think that's the big deterrent for all of us. So the question that I'll ask, and I'll finish off with this, is St. Irenaeus is a really beautiful... In his unbounded love, he became what we are so as to make us what he is. We fell short, so we entered into our brokenness. And he took us and put us on his shoulders and said, listen, I know you guys are messy. I know you fall short. I know you don't recognize what you can be. But I'm going to show you the path. And I'm going to do that which you failed to do. Like, You failed to keep the Holy Spirit, I'm going to acquire him for you. You failed to battle temptation and overcome, I'm going to overcome temptation for you. You struggled with keeping your covenant with me, I'm going to be circumcised on your behalf and keep the covenant for you. You failed to overcome sin and you brought death into the world, I'm going to take that death for you. You fail to over to stay alive and live eternally with me, I'm gonna give life to you. And that is the whole story of Christianity, is the exchange of human brokenness with the life of God to restore us back to what? Image and likeness. To restore us back to our state with him. So is he my mirror? Is he my mirror? When I look, do I see him as my standard, or do I see myself as the standard? Do I see him as the goal, or do I look at myself as the goal? And the way that you litmus test that is how do you make your decisions? How do you go about your day? How much has God on your mind? This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.